Welcome to season four of All About Blockchain. This is Lauren Weymouth, and I lead the University Blockchain Research Initiative for Ripple. Ubri contributes grants and collaboration to universities to accelerate understanding, adoption, and innovation in fintech, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. And we discuss successes coming out of this program on the show. We've had the privilege of collaborating with Morgan State University for over three years. One of my favorite people to work with is Dr. Ali Dead. Associate Dean of Grace Business School and founder and exec director of the National Center for the Study of Blockchain and FinTech. The center serves as a hub to support, facilitate, and enhance cross-disciplinary collaboration in blockchain, cryptocurrency, and other FinTech-related technologies at Morgan and also at other historically Black colleges and universities, HBCUs. We're also welcoming Nathaniel Rose, Senior Software Engineer at Ripple and co-lead of our Black at Ripple Employer Resource Group community to lead the conversation with Dr. Dad. Now, Nate is a wicked smart neurotech researcher who is perfect for this conversation because he advocates for education equity, having directed the National Society of Black Engineers for over five years and co-founded the Bay Area chapter to aid students with STEM skills, giving them the edge to pursue future life endeavors. Nate, thanks for participating today. Thanks, Lauren. Quite an intro right there. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, I'll turn it over to you. Great, great. Dr. Mdad, do you have a preference? Dr. Ali, Ali, Dr. Mdad? Uh, Ali is fine. Ali, where do we find you today? Are you in Baltimore? Yes, yes. I'm in my office at Morgan State University. I'm really honored to be here with you and Lauren to discuss what we are doing at Morgan and all the other HBCUs. And we're glad to have you here. There's a ton to cover, so if you don't mind, I wanted to jump right in, Ali, about the work you're doing, specifically with Morgan State University. Special shout out to Monique, a famous comedian who is alumni from there. So you've been at Morgan for over 20 years. When did you get first turned on to blockchain? I've been at Morgan, Nate, a little bit longer. I joined Morgan in 1990 and created the Information Science and Systems Department and then moved on to become the Associate Dean in the Business School. In regard to the crypto and fintech and blockchain, in 2016-2017 timeframe, I noticed that our students at Morgan were really interested and showing a lot of energy, learning about the new asset class, the crypto market. And they were gathering and informally were talking about where to invest and uh, learning from each other what the evolving crypto market was about. We decided to assist the students and support them and provide additional resources for them. In 2017, we created a course in blockchain, the first at NEHBCU to provide that fundamental knowledge to students who were really curious about it and they wanted to go a little bit deeper. And later on in 2018, we offered some national panel discussions. We brought in some experts from around the country. And I was so surprised to see so many students pack the amphitheater. They wanted to learn about this blockchain, the new technology behind crypto, and they wanted to learn about uh, fintech. So we became really encouraged by seeing students wanted to develop their skills in this area. Then gradually we started offering some programming for them and the students became leaders, created the first blockchain club at NEHBCU at Morgan. Really interesting. I'm sure there may be some 10-year-old wallets with Bitcoin in there for you that you may have been possessing. Yeah, we're going to be surprised if, if we see some. That open arms embracing of the space and the community actually is what drove the adoption of this tech 
across programming for the HBCUs. How has Ubri helped in supporting that effort? In 2018, we approached Ripple. We noticed that Ripple is interested in supporting universities in education and research in this space. And we proposed that Morgan should be one of those universities within that group. And Ripple was very receptive to the idea we became part of the Ubri network in 2019 by receiving some funding from Ripple that supported us in our initial efforts to launch our activities and programs for the Morgan campus, as well as a number of other HBCUs. That HBCU blockchain network, roughly how many schools are participating in that now? In April of 2019, we offered the first summit, invited all the HBCUs and 34 universities sent their representatives, faculty and students to come and participate. So we had a small gathering of about 140 faculty and a small number of students, about 20, 25 students. Basically, each faculty we asked to bring in the student leaders with them so that they can go back and promote the blockchain and fintech education and research on their campuses. That was the beginning of our activities with HBCUs, and it started growing to a total number. Right now, we are approaching 60 different universities that come to our events on a regular basis. We had the chance and opportunity to see what you were building with the Battle for Crypto. It's your annual competition that teaches students how to buy, sell, and trade crypto in a learning lab. So the student winners averaged about 140% return on investment. Was that somewhat surprising to see that right off the back? It was, considering that it was a small amount of funding that we put into each wallet. Each student received $200 in crypto, and they were given about two months to work, create their portfolio, and decide which ones they want to trade, which ones they want to hold. And what they needed to learn was the important part of it. We considered it extremely educational. We always considered this the battle for the cryptos, an experiential learning activity for our students. And in the initial round, only 20 universities we had participated with about ultimately about 30 students. But later on in the second round that we had, more universities participated and Within two days, 100 students signed up for the competition, and the top three winners received some cash prizes and the option to continue using their wallets. That was with Binance US, the first two rounds of the challenges that we had. And we considered that that was a very innovative. Most of the, these challenges are done using simulation programs, and not many have ventured into the actual real money area so that the students feel that there is a pressure to learn and there is a pressure to actually perform and maintain a high yield. And many of them really learned a lot and they continue to work in this space and they're building on what they learned during these competitions. That was actually my follow-up question to see how many students continue post-competition. It seems there's a bit of a shift happening in financial competency where the crypto space feels more accessible than maybe Wall Street trading 80s, 90s time period. Is that your same impression? Absolutely. We noticed, for instance, making it accessible to all 
majors. It's not just the finance students that really perform in these areas. Anyone that is interested in learning and wants to build on that knowledge through a hands-on experience is given a chance in these challenges that we have. And for instance, the top four students that came out of the competitions, one of them was an architecture major. Well, Another one was a PhD student in environmental science. These students really, you know, they exemplify what can be accomplished if they put the energy into learning something that can cross from the traditional to the, the new platforms, asset classes. The competition for Battle for Crypto, do you think it's starting to address the disparity in awareness of blockchain and cryptocurrency? Because there's still a gap between understanding the, the space. I think we don't consider it enough. We need to be vigilant about it because learning is power. We have to make sure that our students learn as much as possible and they go into this space with information and education so that they know what are the fundamentals and understanding the nature of each digital asset, why they invest in it, what are the pros and cons of each one. So any amount of education is going to be helpful. And we don't consider it, you know, we've accomplished our tasks. We're just beginning. And uh, to close the financial gap and learning, we need to continue. We need to work with major partners in this space, bringing innovation that would empower our marginalized communities. It's something that we strongly believe. And this crypto challenge is just an example that we can accomplish piece by piece, layer by layer, some of these, remove some of the, the obstacles by providing the information and opportunity for our students to learn. As the space still continues to be agile and quite accelerated when it comes to the shifting in tooling, do you see Battle for Crypto looking to adopt new mechanisms like Uniswap, different ledgers that might be up and coming that become the standard maybe within only the past six months? Some of the things that we do is to provide diversity of topics for learning. There's no shortage of topics in this space. We believe that the faculty have to play a role in it because we consider trained trainers as an important tenant in whatever we do so that they can go into the classroom and expose the students to all of these new topics and new technologies. So what is, you know, we consider DeFi as one of the important uh, and strong areas that our students need to learn about. It's a challenge that we have accepted that to constantly make sure that we have the most current information in front of our students so that they go either join a team at a company or they venture out on their own and become entrepreneurs. Let's shift gears. I know your team administers a call for proposals when it comes to the HPCU blockchain network. What are you looking for in those proposals? What sort of assessment do you identify when it comes to research and the educational projects? Who wins? What schools have been particularly strong in the past rounds? We make sure that they understand that the top quality publishable papers are the focus that eventually they create a body of knowledge that is technical, addresses the economic and sustainable environment. And we also deal with the regulatory aspects of blockchain and fintech. We address various issues 
For instance, supply chain is a huge area that has been the focus of research using blockchain in that space. At North Carolina A&T, Drs. Wan Lee and Rim Park did a paper that got published in a journal called Sustainability. They studied the effects of blockchain technology on supply chain sustainability and performance. Dr. Juliet Illu and Maisha Williams at Morehouse, they did a study of blockchain investment in under COVID-19 pandemic, for instance, very innovative view. Then we have Dr. Angelino Visesia from Spellman did consumer adoption of fintech and got recognition at different forums. There are others that have done really great job. Your team's also hosting the webinars, topics around CBDCs, asset tokenizations, and using blockchain to improve federal services. One conversation actually that stood out to me and my team was the fintech's role in building generational wealth in the Black community, which featured Kai Sheffield, the head of crypto at Visa, which is really interesting. What were some of the key takeaways and examples from that discussion? The discussion was really on stressing the need for paying attention to the marginalized communities, the unbanked and underbanked communities have been neglected. And we considered it important to shed some light and discuss what needs to be done. For instance, we believe that before even we talk about generational wealth, we need to talk about financial literacy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we need to say that without it, holding on to the wealth that is passed on from one generation to the next would be at risk. You know, the statistics are very telling. And they say about 70% of wealthy families lose their wealth by the next generation. And 90% are losing it the generation after that. And why is that? This is troubling because, you know, not every child of wealth is given a roadmap that they need to follow exactly to maintain and grow the wealth that is passed on to them. So we believe that in the communities, underserved communities, we need to start financial literacy at a young age. K-12 is not too early. It is actually the place that we have to start. And build the understanding that the young people need to master, to understand, to learn, and to appreciate that in order to achieve, they have to have the discipline and they have to understand what is wealth, what is debt, how to deal with all of this. And it takes consistent programming and offering of programs that address the issues. To take it a little bit further, what is the role of the fintech community? We talked about it and we said, come up with programs that are not so much based on the algorithms of the past. The loan processing and access to funds for young entrepreneurs, for instance. Are there any platforms, any new fintech companies that make it easier for the minority community to have access to these resources? So it was a beginning conversation. We touched the tip of the iceberg on, on this topic. That resonates quite personal with me from what Lauren mentioned before. I did some work with the National Society of Black Engineers, which looks at matriculation for STEM majors in K-12 into the industry for big tech. Has your team explored that for financial literacy when it comes to K-12? Do you know of any programs that is looking to target that initiative directly? 
We have started programming in that area. And at the college level, Morgan and some of the other HBCUs I know, we have mandated as part of the general education that all students must take a general education, one credit hour course on financial literacy. And through the FinTech Center and other programs, other funding that we have available, we are reaching out to elementary schools, middle schools, and to high school students to provide these kind of training and, and offer the educational opportunities for them to understand financial ramifications of their decisions, how to distinguish good decisions from bad decisions in terms of financial outcomes. So putting information and use cases in front of the students, bringing leaders from the financial community to talk to our students at different stages from elementary to middle to high school to college, you have provided the essential opportunity for learning that is going to be sustainable, not just you touch one age group and you leave it at that. So it's, again, it's a consistent and continuous process that we have to focus on expanding and making it a widespread kind of activity at all of our HBCUs, not just at Morgan. Yeah, that pipeline is key to the success of that financial literacy for underrepresented individuals. What role do you see crypto or blockchain playing in that effort? And do you see this evolving in the next 10 years or within the future for incoming students seeking to leverage the space to achieve this? Crypto adoption has been very gradual. The technological developments have been fast, but the adoption has not been as fast uh, due to certain factors. But on campuses, we've seen the energy building up and students, the staff also are interested and the communities around HBCUs are interested. In some of our events, workshops, we've noticed that our community we have an organization, it's called Morgan Community Mind. Through their efforts, we've been able to bring in the neighborhood folks and they come into our events and they are extremely interested in learning about crypto. We also see that crypto is one of the asset classes and there are other areas that our students show interest in the context of fintech. Data analytics is important for our students. We just recently launched a series of data analytics workshops and 165 students signed up. And that was the capacity that we could accept. Now we are organizing additional workshops. So the overwhelming acceptance of new technology, learning, all of these would be an indication for us that our students want to be in the forefront. And they want to leave the university with the requisite knowledge that make them not only marketable, but also a functioning member of whatever company they join to contribute to the mission of that organization. One new webinar that you produce with Definity, it's a nonprofit organization, was on the building of an equitable internet. So you discuss biased algorithms, which is a huge topic right now, cloaked websites, digital redlining and pay-to-play advertising. What solutions were offered in that talk for folks who weren't able to attend? We just 
touched some of the most salient points that the existing internet is controlled by mega companies that run all aspects of the software, the data, they own the data, the networks are controlled. Instead of that, Definity with the internet computer and the platform and the protocol and the language for development of programs offers the potential for bringing the internet access to a larger group of developers and removing that control from a central group of companies and distributing that to a smaller, more entrepreneurial company base. So the increase in the availability. We talked, for instance, you know, a large number of Americans right now don't have access to broadband. Uh, About 20 million Americans don't have access to broadband. How can we talk about equal access to resources when they can't even connect to the Internet? Some of the prerequisite actions that need to take place, the role of the government, the role of the private corporations and tech companies, All of these things play an important part in creating the equitable internet. The blockchain and crypto community is flooded with new opportunities. And because of that, there can be some nefarious activity going on, right? How are you handling educating new students, but also protecting them for the potential nefarious projects that may be produced because of the acceleration of this space? Again, the best thing we can do is to provide the information. We bring in the experts through webinars, to workshops, to provide the information that is needed to educate and increase the knowledge of our students. Yeah, this might be identical to the dot-com bubble back then in the late, early 90s, just to make sure that your students are aware of the potential risk with certain projects. What sort of curriculum is your team approaching around non-fungible tokens? It's quite interesting, the use cases that we're seeing when it comes to ownership from the music industry, real estate, venture capitalism. Have you began to inquire or explore this space as well within your coursework? Yes. Nate, we have worked with Hyperledger Foundation and Chain Analysis, which is another leader in this industry, to develop some training workshops on how to teach the development of NFTs. So a workshop is coming up in March and April. It's a three-part workshop, and it's open to all HBCUs, and we're going to be promoting it as such. And the goal is that by the end of the workshop, participants should be able to create their own NFTs, and the use case that we have is art. It's one of those areas that we have received a lot of requests, and a lot of interest is generated on that. So we decided to put that as part of our curriculum, as part of the FinTech Center's offering for this semester in the spring semester. And already we know that some of the HBCUs have pledged that they want to use the content of that curriculum that we developed for this workshop in their courses. And they have volunteered to teach that in the fall semester. After they go through that themselves, they're going to use that for teaching the concept of developing NFTs on their campuses. Yeah, I'm sure the 2021 craze around NFTs maybe have accelerated that coursework for the spring. One last question for you, which is really this partnership around academia and industry. What is the ask from academia to the industry 
that will assist with empowering some of your initiatives and enabling your students? Great question, Nate. I think uh, it goes to the crux of our success is if we work in a vacuum, we won't be able to accomplish our goals. We have to work with the industry leaders to bring in the innovations in this space, share that with us, not only their treasures, but the experts that they have to work with us in developing programs that we can offer to our communities. The HBCU community is hungry for learning. They want to be able to participate in frontier research, and they have been doing it. They have the intellectual capital to do it, and we need the support of companies like Ripple that has been very, very generous with their support since 2019. So this is, for us, it's a sustainability issue to make sure that the other leaders in the industry come forward and support our efforts so that we can continue working with all the students, develop talent, create the pipeline from K-12 all the way to college for these companies that are going to be needing diverse and young talent that is coming out of our universities. Dr. Ali, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. I'm grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, Nate. Uh, And thank you, Lauren. Well, thank you, Ali, for being a pioneer in the industry and lowering the barriers to people of color having access to strong education and research during their academic years, and also access to industry to better qualify for increasing jobs in the field. An impact doesn't have to end after graduation. Junior talent can continue to be supported when joining companies like Ripple who have employee resource groups. Ripple's Black community creates programming and opportunities to connect, learn, and support one another. Thank you, Nate, for helping our podcast celebrate Black History Month and for championing this episode. We loved having you both on Uber's podcast all about blockchain. And listeners, we appreciate your ears and your time. Your comments on my LinkedIn and feedback to Uber at ripple.com are so very appreciated. Until next episode. Yeah.